Welcome to another edition of Points in the Paint, a post-draft edition of Points in the Paint, and post-draft, who else can we bring on other than our own NBA freelancer here at The Score, and Sixers fan extraordinaire, Andrew Unterberger. Andrew was just mentioning to me that his parents actually drove up from Philly to New York to watch uh, the draft live. So, Andrew, I guess the first question I'll ask you is... uh, how how did Mr. and Mrs. Unterberger feel about the drafting of Joel Embiid, the acquisition of Dario Saric, and everything else the Sixers did last night? Well, my, my dad is very pro uh, Embiid, whom he has been uh, for, for some time now. Uh, my mother is a little uh, gun-shed about the idea of having to wait on, uh, wait on our number one pick for another year after having do still last year with Noel and then the, the, the buy him stuff two years ago. It's, 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 it's a lot to ask for Sixers fans to go to suffer through another injured big man. But she's very excited to have a Croatian on our roster. She said that uh, that, that, was, that was her number one goal for the evening was to get a Croatian. So we got that. And that's good for her. <laughs> are, you, uh, are you Croatian? Are you of Croatian descent? No, I don't think so. Uh, but she, had my, she was a, a Russian lit major in college. And oh, okay. She had a general affinity for the, the Eastern European types. <laughs> All right, good to know. Uh, and I mean, how do you feel about it? I was I was writing about it today and saying that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could understand why some Sixers fans might be frustrated because they'll probably have a big man, you know, sitting on the bench for a third straight year, and Saric they're not going to see for at least a couple years. But at the end of the day, I still think that they got the best players available each time uh, they came up, and they just continue to grow this crazy plethora of assets they have. So, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, my, my number one fear in the dra- going into the draft this year was that uh, they were going to take Embiid and Sharich, and uh, that's exactly what happened. And <laughs> I, I think that, look, I, I mean, tanking is not the goal for the Sixers next year. Uh, it may or may not have been the goal for them last year. It's not the goal for them this year. Uh, it is a byproduct of their draft strategy, which is taking the best players available, which is what they did at three and then eventually at 12. Uh, I think that they would have taken Andrew Wiggins if he was available at number three. I think they would have taken Noah Vonley if he was available at number 10. But uh, that's not how it worked out. Uh, it worked out that the guys that they really wanted that were available at those two positions were guys that are going to take a little while. And I think that it's, it's, it's a tough pill for Sixers fans to swallow, but it's one that they'll gladly swallow if in a couple of years these guys do eventually end up playing for the squad and dominating the way we expect them to be able to. Uh, and I think there are some good things that come with this. I think it's not maybe not the worst thing in the world that the Sixers aren't going to have to field, field a team of five rookies next year. They're going to have, you know, they're going to have Noel coming back uh, from ACL injury and he'll probably play in the summer league and then he'll play in the regular season. Uh, and then, you know, we, we have a couple of really good second-round picks. Actually, I think that's the thing that people are, are really missing with the Sixers draft is that we got two first-round talents at number 32 and number 39 with uh, KJ McDaniels out of Clemson and uh, Jeremy Grant out of Syracuse, those two guys will contribute right away. I mean, they're going to be fun of helping, maybe, but they'll, they'll be there opening night, they'll be in the roster, and they're going to get minutes for this team because there's not a lot of other players on it to, 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 to take those minutes from them. So they'll be able to integrate those guys uh, next year, and then uh, they'll have Embiid hopefully coming back and ready to play at the beginning of the year after that. And then two years from now, well, Sharish comes over from Croatia, or Turkey, I guess, is going to be in. And by then, we'll be able to figure out how good these guys we have are, how they're going to be able to fit uh, with, 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 with each other once, once the team's at full strength. And, you know, we'll be able to integrate them slowly and bring them along and develop them at our own pace. And that's, that's maybe not the worst way to go about this. So 
it's a, it's a very long-term plan. I said they're, they're, the Sixers are looking at their future through a telescope, and I think that's probably pretty accurate. And it's going to take a number of years for it to come to fruition, but it's a, it's a plan that looks pretty good if everything goes according to it, you know? Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, that not a lot of people are talking about is that eventually, you know, the chances that they're actually going to keep every single one of these guys and they'll yeah. all be part of the plans, probably not realistic. At some point, they'll probably yeah, package, yeah. you know, one or two of them or maybe more and maybe one of uh, Carter Williams or Thaddeus Young sometime soon. So mm-hmm. it's just the way I see it is I can't – I mean, I know crazy things happen and we don't know what any of these guys will actually turn into, but I, I can't envision a scenario – where the Sixers aren't really good within the next few years, just because with all these assets, like even if you only keep two or three of them and you use the other ones to package to get a star and then you bring a star into a situation where there's still this boatload of future assets, I I mean, I, I think they're in good hands. Yeah, they're in very good shape moving forward. Uh, I mean, there are there's still some risks, obviously, especially with Embiid, that you know, if he's never healthy for a sustained period of time and we use the number three pick on him, that's a big blow. I mean, that, that's not... Something you can't recover from, but that, that's that's a real setback. But you're right; they they have assets. They had they're going to have probably another pretty high pick next year, uh, since they're you know they're not going to have planning on being that good this year. Uh, and then they have yeah they, they, they have these guys that don't necessarily fit together on the court brilliantly, but they're they're players that everyone's going to be interested in if they're ever available. Uh, they're they're going to get time to showcase their stuff on the Sixers. Who knows? Some of our second round guys might turn out to be future assets moving forward as well. And then they have plenty of cap space. They can absorb that contract and take more picks with them. It's 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 a very good long term prognosis for the Sixers. Uh, now it's going to take a little bit longer to get there than we were hoping for. You know, when when we made the uh, the Drew Holiday and Jeremy Noel trade draft last year, it seemed like it was going to be entirely possible this was going to be a one year rebuild, which is, as far as I can tell, never happened before. And apparently, it was too good to be true this year too. Uh, so that's not going to happen because we got guys that aren't going to come over for a year, possibly longer. But you're right, the long-term outlook is as good as anybody's. There are not too many teams in the Eastern Conference right now who I would, I would trade our, our, our more excessive assets with. I, I think uh, three or four years from now, we're going to be looking at the Sixers as, as one of the next rising superpowers in the East. Staying uh, with that Eastern Conference that you just mentioned about, obviously the East, because they are so terrible, had uh, all of the top picks. Cleveland took Wiggins, Milwaukee mm-hmm. took Parker, we already talked about Philly. Uh, Orlando took Aaron Gordon. Any surprises there in the top few uh, East teams, or in general, maybe in the top five or ten of the draft? Any any selections that kind of made you say, "Whoa"? Well, I think the only really surprising thing that happened was that there were no huge surprises. I, I was expecting an absolute, you know, chaos scenario at the top of the draft. I thought there would be trades. I thought Cleveland would maybe reach for somebody that no one had previously linked them to. I, I, I thought we would get something that would really make some jaws drop. I don't think that really happened. I guess you. You could say the most surprising thing that happened was that Orlando took Aaron Gordon at four when you know he's used projected most drafts to go in the kind of six to eight range and maybe even some had him falling to, to nine or ten. Uh, but I don't think you can really call it that surprising. But in my opinion, he is the fourth best talent in this draft. He's going to be one of the five best players in this draft. Uh, he's kind of a weird fit with the Magic because you know, they're, they're so bereft of shooting and Gordon obviously doesn't help with that. But I, I think he fits their their team identity and that sort of defensive tenacity and the kind of kind of open court energy and just general competitiveness that they, they appear to be building their team around. And I, I think he's going to be a really great player. And uh, I think that between him and Alfred Payton, the Magic uh, did about as well in the draft as anybody. I, I don't know if that team is going to be sustainable long term with their current core because there's so little in the way of outside shooting. They're going to be fun to watch next year. I think they're going to be a, they're going to be much watch first for summer league and then in the regular season. Yeah. I guess it's surprising you could say that Noah Vonley ended up slipping all the way to number nine uh, to, to the, the Bobcats or 
an outpouring, so I'm going to call the Bobcats the rest of my life. Uh, and that, you know, some people have him going even as high as number three to the Sixers, and I thought that would have been insane because he didn't really do that much in college last year. He had kind of minimal stats for a team that didn't even make the tournament. But I, I think that, generally speaking, you know, the draft kind of went as it should have gone. I, I don't think there's anybody in the top ten, really, that would have picked, you know, made me totally scratch my head and wonder what the hell they were thinking. Uh, I think it generally was actually one of the more predictable, in the end of the day, drafts that, that I can remember in the last few years. Yeah, I'm with you on the Gordon pick, though. I mean, it was a little surprising because I thought, um, you know, the big three of Wiggins, Parker, and Bede, and then Exum would probably yeah. would fill out the top four. So I was a little surprised, but as you said, I don't, I'm not against it in any way. I mean, I think uh, I was getting some slack earlier in the year because I... Uh, I said that I thought Aaron Gordon looked better than Jabari Parker at times, just because he's he might be, yeah. he's so good both ways. And I know he can't really shoot yet, but his his two way potential uh, is mm-hmm. off the charts. And and like you said, I'm really interested to see what this Magic team becomes. I'm kind of I'm fascinated by watching them because they yeah they have no shooting whatsoever, and they just traded Aaron Aflalo, so you know there's some shooting gone out the door. But they're yeah. just going to be so crazy athletic with Oladipo and Peyton and now Gordon. Like, this team's going to be really fun to watch. They're not going to win a lot of games, and they're probably not going to score a lot of points. But when they do score, it's going to be hell of exciting. I'm totally with you on that. They're going to be a must-watch team next year. They're going to be a league pass favorite. And then two or three years down the line, we might be talking about them in the same breath we're talking about the Sixers currently. Are there any teams that you thought maybe, I mean, other than the top one or two who uh, I think we know, but are there any teams that you think kind of under the radar had a really good draft or maybe one or two that disappointed you with who they took or didn't take? Well, I'll say that uh, I kind of alluded to this, but I actually really liked the, the, the Bobcats slash Hornets uh, haul from this draft. I thought Vonley was a great guest for them in number nine. Uh, you know, he, he matches us so well with, uh, you know, in the front court with Al Jefferson. I think if you're going to design a player to, to play alongside Big Al, it would probably be someone like Vonley who's long and athletic block shots, can also stretch the floor on offense, can to work with Don William. Some people were talking about, oh, well, there's too much overlap with Cody Zeller. I just think he's so much better than Cody Zeller that it doesn't even really matter. I think Agreed. the way they're going to fit together is that Cody Zeller is going to play behind him and you know, stow him off the bench. Uh, so that's a great fit. I like P.J. Harrison at 24 for them. Uh, I think that's or, no, 26, I guess, technically. I think that that's a good you know, floor-stretching two-guard for them to, to work around. I don't know if he's going to be a long-term starter, but at the worst, you bring him off the bench, and you know Gerald Henderson is shrinking the floor too much for you. You put him in there instead, and that, that works out pretty well for you. And I also like both sides of the Bulls-Nuggets deal. I think that the Bulls did really well to, to trade up for Doug McDermott. They, they shed some salary with the two, the one guaranteed deal as opposed to the two, and that helps them in their pursuit of either Kevin Love or Carmelo Anthony down the line. And in Doug McDermott, that they, they've got uh, – a guy that they've kind of had a role for on all of their competitive teams the last three or four years, previously been played by Kyle Korver or Mike Dunleavy, which is the, you know, the, 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 the kind of the, the combo forward who comes off the bench and just hits every three, you know, playing off Derrick Rose, playing off of uh, you know the, the ball movement, go keep Noah at the high post and whatever. Uh, they've always had that guy, and I think Doug McDermott's the best one of that guy that they've ever had, and I, I think he has the potential to play an, an even bigger role for that team to be such a good passer and he can score from, from so many different areas on the court in so many different ways. I think he's going to open up the offense for that team in ways that they've, they've never really even quite seen before. So that's, that's a great guess for them, I think. And then also for the Nuggets to trade down to 16 and 19, they got two players that were projected to be taken in, in, in the high teams, in uh, Yusuf Nurkic and Gary Harris. Gary Harris has fell, I, I think, much farther than anybody would have predicted he would. He's not going to be an all-star type player, I don't think. He's going to be a really good two-way shooting guard. He's going to, going to fit in on a good team, even if he's never going to be 
kind of star himself. Uh, and, and Nurkic, I don't think anybody really knows what he's going to be yet, but they're going to they're stash him overseas for a couple of years. And, you know, he, he kind of has that, that below-the-rim, big guy, kind of big, big Al Jefferson-type potential to be a, a low-post scorer that the, the Nuggets don't really have currently. So I think that's, that's a great draft for them. And they also combined in the fact they traded, they basically gave up absolutely nothing for Aaron Aflalo just a day earlier. I think they're making out as well as anybody. Yeah, I, I actually like the Nuggets to potentially return uh, to the Western Conference playoffs next season. Uh, I know they didn't look like a playoff team last year. I think they only they won thirty six. Uh, they went thirty six and forty six. But um, there's still a lot of talent in Denver. Um, yeah, they're getting Daniel Gallinari back. That's right. There, there's a lot of talent in Denver. They're probably getting Gallo back, and they did just in general deal with a lot of injuries last year. It was the first year uh, post Carl, post Iguodala, Masai uh, Ujiri had left for Toronto. There was a lot of turnover in the organization. They were uh, killed by injuries, um, especially to Gallo. But I think with all the talent coming back and with some of the guys getting healthy, and then you add Aaron Aflalo, and like you mentioned, a really good draft. I mean, I don't think there's any reason why they can't be right back in the hunt for a low playoff seed in the West. Uh, the other team, uh, Western Conference team, that was in the playoff hunt this season that I thought had a great draft for where they were as the Phoenix Suns. Um, talk about a team that you know was like Philly, looked like they did want to tank the 2013-14 season. They found their way to 48 wins. But because of the way they had set themselves up, they had three first-round picks. And okay, you know they weren't high picks. They were 14, 18, and 27. But between TJ Warren, Tyler Ennis, and Bogdan Bogdanovich, I mean, what more can you really ask for for three picks in you know essentially the second half of the first round? I'm actually going to disagree with you on that. Really, one. I, I, this, the Suns are one of the, the the teams whose draft I didn't really like okay. that much. Uh, now, all three of those guys are good players. I think TJ Warren, you know, he. He has potential to be one of one of the, the best scorers in this draft, and I, I think nobody really knows what to make of him because he's such an unusual player in terms of being a, a wing that doesn't really shoot and isn't really that athletic, but can still you know get buckets like anybody. Uh, but I, I just don't really see how any of those guys fit that team necessarily. Warren, as I mentioned, you know, he's not athletic. You know, the, the Suns play such a, a run and gun type style. You don't really see T.J. Warren kind of making hay on the break. You don't really see him you know, throwing down alley oops like Gerald Green or anything like that. Uh, you know, he could be a half court weapon for him, but he's gonna he's gonna shrink the floor for them in the meantime. I don't know if that's really what they need. Uh, I think you know maybe bringing him off the bench, but for for a lottery pick, if, if bench score is just your ceiling, I'm, I'm not sure how much I love that. Uh, and Kyle Ennis, you know, the, the Suns already have two starting point guards. I, I, I you know he could be a good backup for them. I, but I thought I thought if Smith was actually okay for them last year. I think they can get someone like Tyler Ennis on the on, on the free agency market for for not that much money, not that much expense. Uh, you know, he could be a serviceable backup for him, but I, I don't see him really being a difference maker. I think Bogdan Bogdanovich is actually the guy I like of theirs the most, but he's not going to come over for a couple of years. So, I, you know, in terms of asset collecting, I think the Suns did a good job. So I think they got three players that were good value for their draft slot. But in terms of them actually helping the team take that jump from, a, you know, an overachieving lottery team to an actual contending Western Conference team, I'm not really sure that they made that much of a difference. So, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see about that. It's going to be interesting. Like you said, from an asset um, collection standpoint, in terms of where they got each guy, uh, I think that's interesting. And I think, uh, especially as I listen to you even talk about how maybe these guys don't necessarily fit in with this team, they, like Philly, make me think, you know, how many of these guys are actually part of the plans and how many are going to be part of packages? Because Phoenix, uh, with those three guys and with some additional draft picks in the next few years, and then with Bledsoe and Dragic, and as much cap space as almost anyone in the league, 
in the next couple of years in an attractive market. You just figure that they're a team that could play a factor in, you know, maybe not actually signing one of these superstar free agents outright, but maybe trading for a star, somehow landing a big name. And maybe they use a couple of these, if not all three of these uh, newly drafted guys in, in that package. Yeah, that, that's true, and we, we kind of forget sometimes that the Suns are supposed to be along the same track as the Sixers. You know, we went into the to the draft two, uh, last year, kind of expecting them to to fight it out for the, the bottom of, of the NBA standings and be both be in the running for the number one pick next uh, next year, which is now this year. Uh, and I think that they, you know, they, they jumped so far ahead of schedule uh, with with their incredible season last year that you know we we forget that they're supposed to still be a rebuilding team, and maybe I forget that too sometimes. But they were so close to making the playoffs last year that it is, it's hard, and, and they still have so much flexibility and so, so much room to grow that it's hard to not look at that team and think, okay, they could be so, they could even be so much better than they were last year already this year. Uh, so while you, I, I don't think that their draft necessarily helped them in that game, you're, you're, you're probably right that the long-term picture is still asset collection. It's still let's get as much talent as this roster as we can and figure it out from there and, and, and possibly trade some of these superstar guys. So if you want to look at it through that lens, then you're right that it probably is a successful draft. I, I just don't see those guys being impact players for the Suns next year. Yeah, and I can, uh, to that point, I can even see the Suns probably taking a pretty big step back next season in terms of a win-loss mm-hmm. record. But again, if they can just continue to add through the draft like Philly's doing, uh, maybe it works out for them in the end too. I wasn't that high on Minnesota taking Zach Levine. I mean, I don't mind Levine, and I don't even mind going for... Um, you know, high ceiling over maybe a more predictable role player, and we can talk about the Raptors in a few minutes and going for the high ceiling. But let's stick to Mini for now. What did you think of them taking Zach Levine? Well, you know who else isn't a big fan of the Wolves taking Zach Levine? Is uh, Zach Levine? Do you see those uh, those like uh, Instagrams of of him saying fucking? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty intense, and that. I don't know what what his beef is with the Wolves necessarily. I guess maybe he just doesn't want to go to a rebuilding team, and yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, I think he's a, I think he was a good bet for the Wolves at 13. I think that they need to kind of swing to the fences a little bit. I think that you know they've they've been trying it the other way. You know that they, they signed kind of like the middling veteran talent last off season. They got their Kevin Martins and their Corey Brewers, and they tried to make a good run for it at the West. I think they found out they're not really as close as they think they are. And that not, they, they need long-term pieces. They need guys who can be core players. They need guys who can be all-stars someday. And I think that Levine, while he has as much plus potential as anybody in this draft, he also has as much all-star potential as, as almost anybody. And you know maybe that's not going to convince Kevin Love to stay. I, I, I certainly wouldn't let that move in the middle for me if I were I him. But it's going to be good for the for the Wolves moving forward. This is this is something else I was thinking about. You know that the Wolves were offered. I, I think it at least was reported a uh, package from the Celtics of uh, six, seventeen, you know, the, 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 the two Celtics picks in the, in the first round this year, and possibly some other future picks down the line, maybe a couple scraps of the, from the roster as well. And if they had taken that deal for Kevin Love, uh, they they could have gone into a to next year with the starting five of Ricky Rubio, Zach Levine, James Young, uh, probably either Julius Randle or Noah Vonleh. And either uh, Gorgie Jang or Nikola Pekovic, depending on who wants to start center. That, that to me, that's that's a hell of a rebuilding roster. Yeah, that, that is. That, that's a hell of a of a long term play for them. I, I kind of wonder if maybe that wasn't the play. Maybe they didn't miss a really good opportunity there. What do you What do you think about that? Oh yeah, I mean when you when you uh, spell out the starting lineup like that, I think any quote unquote rebuilding team would take that lineup. You know, I don't think they'd 
make much noise in terms of the upper echelon of the West standings, but I think they'd be really exciting to watch and in a good spot going forward from a rebuilding standpoint. Again, whether we're talking about them keeping all five of them going forward or uh, turning some of them into other assets. Yeah, I know. I think that'd be, that would have been a really uh, smart move, of course, hindsight uh, being what it is. I got I got to start calling Zach Levine Zach Levine by the way and calling him by his regular name now that he's in the <laughs> NBA. Zach I've been I'm, I've I'm been pretty sure it's Zach Levine but the two I've been calling him Zach Levine uh, all season now that he's actually in the NBA. I should probably I should probably get the proper pronunciation down. Well, that's actually not a bad nickname for him. Once he becomes like a highlight machine, the pros, you know, he'll be on Vine all the time. And start calling him oh, Vine. that's true. That's, that's true. And like, as you mentioned, he's already got a pretty solid Vine game going with his uh, <laughs> "fuck me" reaction to being drafted by Minnesota. I wonder oh, I, fans, how. I was I was just going to say, how do you think fans feel in Minnesota? Not that there are that many of them, judging by the stands, and even if you look back at the KG years, their attendance was never great, but. If you are one of the few diehard Minnesota Timberwolves fans, you know you had Kevin Garnett, one of the, you know, biggest or one of the best players of his generation. Really, mm-hmm. wasn't able to get it done there because they never really surrounded him with the proper talent. He leaves, wins a championship in Boston. Then you get Kevin Love, you know, one of the best big men of probably what will be his generation and already probably a top ten player in the NBA. And he wants out, and it's pretty unlikely he'll be there beyond next season, if even next season. And now you're probably starting to think about going forward and the first guy you draft, Zach Levine's reaction to being drafted by Minnesota for all the world to see is fuck me. Yeah, it, it, it's not high times for Wolves fans. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't blame them if they put their head in the sand for all summer and just kind of said, you know, wake me when they trade low, wake me when we figure out what this roster is going to look like next year. I, I, I don't imagine it's going to be a fun summer for them. But on the plus side, yeah, well, Levine is is a talent. He is someone to to kind of pin your hopes to. You know, if you want to watch his YouTube highlights, that will certainly give you cause for optimism. And they also got a pretty good second round steal in Gwen Robinson the third. I, I think that you know, he's not going to be a star either, and he maybe was a little bit overhyped going into Michigan for his first couple of years there. But yeah, he had a good a tournament run as almost anybody uh, from on the wing. I saw the NCAAs last year. He was very steady. He looks like a, a real contributor, if not a star. You know, that's two not bad pieces. And if those are the kind of guys that Flip Saunders is going to be drafting, then you know maybe uh, maybe they'll be able to rebuild and reemerge into some closer contention sooner rather than later. And you know, as as great as Kevin Love was, uh, the year he played in was not a particularly successful one for Minnesota basketball. So if you have to you have to move on from him, you have to trade trade him and kind of start over from there. Then you're not exactly saying goodbye to the to the you know the 2001 Lakers. So <laughs> no, 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 you're what it is. You are not saying bye to the 2001 Lakers. Um, let's let's move on and and get to the the part of the podcast I've been just dreaming about all day. Talking about Bruno, the, the return of Bruno. Bruno Cabolo, newest Toronto Raptor, 20th overall pick. Um, uh, the Raptors fan base, I'd say, sitting here in Toronto, the Raptors fan base is a little bit divided because it's people like me, and there are a lot of people with this mindset that we've thrown a blind faith into Masai Ujiri's hands and I think there's sure. you know there's reason why we have that faith you know, with Andrea Bargnani and Rudy Gay uh, opting in this week it's now confirmed that the Raptors saved almost 31 million dollars just by finding a way to get rid of those guys for next season okay and and didn't have <laughs> to take incredible. on any bad contracts or give up picks to do it in, in fact they got the picks from New York and Sacramento to do it so again there's reason to have faith in Masai Ujiri I have all the faith in the world in him um, you know, reading some of the measurements on Cabolo, 
Uh, six nine forward, seven foot seven wingspan, which sounds a little ridiculous, but I mean that's what they're saying. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm part of the Kevin Durant, right? but that's right, Brazilian Kevin Durant. So I'm part of the half the fan base that thinks, okay, well, Masai clearly saw something in this guy. There's rumors that you know a team like the Spurs was thinking of taking him uh, with mm-hmm. the 30th pick that Phoenix and Utah were looking at taking him. So the Raptors just wanted to get him off the board because they had already missed their chance to get Tyler Ennis. The other half of the fan base. Um, not happy. Just to give you an example, uh, the score this morning when they tweeted out from the score's official Twitter account my my recap of last night, the the question in the tweet was which team made the most of the 2014 NBA draft. The first two responses, the first one from at H20Sun, not the fucking Raptors. <laughs> the second response from at Magic Santa, obviously not the Raptors. So that just goes to tell you, what, you know, how this fan base is divided. What was your reaction you were at the draft and also what was the reaction of the people inside Barclays Center if anyone was paying attention to the Raptors 20th pick oh unfortunately I was I was in the media workroom when when the Raptors pick was announced so I was not able to hear the, the deafening silence that that met uh, Adam Silver <laughs> announced that pick uh it's not that there were particularly large contention of Raptor fans in the crowd to begin with but I think uh okay kudos to and kudos to the GM populace of the NBA Sneaking this guy past us. I mean, how many? Like, I was talking to, to our mutual friend Blake Murphy, and, and he wrote seventy draft profiles this year, and he has never heard of Bruno Carballo. I've never heard of Bruno Carballo. He's not on the Draft Express Top 100. Chad Ford has not said his name once. How does this guy get to number twenty with all of the exposure that all of these guys get, with all of the like, hundreds of mock drafts that we all read and the the the, the, the DX videos that we all watch, and, and this guy gets taken over Shabazz Napier, who was the NCAA Player of the Year last year? In the tournament, rather, and and we never heard of him. And I, I, I was impressed. I was, I was impressed by the objective. I don't know the the the, the, the tomfoolery of it all. It, it was just incredible that, that this guy made it all the way to number twenty without cracking anybody that ever ever had register or anything like that. Oh, uh, so. I'm sorry, what? Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, Masai Ujiri, especially his first year in Toronto, has kind of got this this reputation now as this ninja GM, you know, how did he get the sure. Knicks to take Borgnani? How did he get the Kings to take Rudy Gay? If this works out, if Bruno Caballo ends up being even a serviceable NBA player, this will be his shining, defining moment of his first year and a little bit in Toronto. The fact that, like you said, he somehow had this guy pegged as a future NBA star and plenty of respectable uh, people and scouts didn't even have this guy in their top 100, and he took him 20th. Yeah, but he, I think that the best line of the night was, uh, I, 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 I think it was, it was Fran Fraschilla talked talk about him being two years away from being two years away. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a line. He is two years away from being two years away. I, I think that, that, that one sentence is going to stay attached to Bruno Carvalho's NBA career for, for, for as long as it takes him to come over and probably a good time after that. that that's well, the thing to say about an NBA so, so here's the thing. He's apparently landing in Toronto today. He's probably going to be introduced to the media tomorrow on Saturday. They expect him to go work out with uh, people like DeMar DeRozan and, and those okay. guys in L.A. Uh, as early as next week. They expect him to be at Summer League, and Masai Ujiri and Dwayne Casey both said he's joining the team next year. <laughs> Well, so he's going to have a very slow developing next four years in the Toronto Raptors, but hopefully by the end of his rookie contract, he'll be able to play basketball. That'll be exciting. <laughs> I will say that, uh, you know, whatever you want to say about Bruno Caballo, and I'm not going to pretend like I have any clue whether this guy's going to be any good or not, uh, I did like his second-round pick. I, did, I do like DeAndre Daniels. You know, I, I watched him uh, for, for a good deal of last season, especially in the NCAA tournament. I think that 
he's as good at getting off his shot as, as any you know forward that, that I saw in college last year, and that's a rare skill, and that's an important skill. Uh, so that's a little bit of a question. Defensive focus is definitely a little bit of a question, uh, but uh, especially because you're going to lose Patrick Patterson in free agency. This is another guy who can stretch the floor, can, can get you buckets. I, I think he's a very good pickup for the second round, and I, I think Raptor fans can like him a lot. Yeah, no, I, I was uh, definitely down with that number 37 pick. Uh, but again, Andrew, right now it's all about Bruno Caballo. Okay? <laughs> it's all about Bruno. We were not done talking about Bruno Caballo. The city needs more Bruno Caballo news. Um, the, the funny thing to me, too, is that I wonder if, because people said that Masai had given him a promise at number 37. So the Raptors' plan was to try to get Ennis at 20 and uh, Caballo mm-hmm. at 37. And then that's why he didn't work out for any other teams because the Raptors had already given him a promise. I wonder how high he would have gone if the Raptors didn't take him. Again, you know, there's these rumors out there now that yeah, Phoenix, yeah, Utah, and San Antonio, you know, I mean, if San Antonio takes him at 30. I know it's 10 picks later, but if San Antonio takes him at 30, all jokes aside, we're sitting here today talking about, well, this guy's going to be, uh, we're joking yeah. about how he's going to be a finals MVP in five years, right? So, <laughs> probably will be too, yeah. Yeah, so uh, who knows? Maybe. Yeah, no, I- I think it's 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 hard to not view it as a little bit of a reach. It kind of has that that air of the guy at your fantasy draft. He takes the you know the prospect that nobody's ever heard of, like you know, eight rounds too early because he he's convinced that he's going to come over and make him look like a genius. Uh, I don't know if 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 twenty is justifiable for Bruno Caballo, but you know, these guys know more than we do, and if they think that that he was going to be taken between number twenty and number thirty-seven, and Masai had a hard sell on this guy, I think he's earned uh, the right to be trusted. And he's got the track record, and he's got his ninja reputation. And uh, if he says he's the twentieth, you know, best player in the draft, then or the twentieth best asset, then then by all means, Masai, yeah, go for it. Uh, Dwayne Casey yesterday in his post-draft press conference called uh, Bruno a phenomenon. So. Okay, well, here's hoping, man. Uh, yeah, look, we, 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 we saw this happen sort of similarly last year with Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's another guy that we didn't really know that much about. I mean, we at least heard of him. We at least knew who he was. He was on draft boards and such, but he, he was also kind of a shot in the dark, uh, and we didn't know when he would be coming over. We didn't know whether he would be able to play against NBA-level competition, and he came over and he was able to play against NBA-level competition. So if the same thing happens with Bruno Carballo, then I, I think Raptor fans are going to be overjoyed at this time next year. Yeah, here's hoping. All right, last thing, Andrew, before, uh, before I let you go. Did you see the Rick Buecher tweet last night? And and do you give that rumor even 1% yeah, validity? Uh, remind me. Uh, remind so me. Rick Buecher tweeted uh, around 10.30 last night that uh, sources he had sources that the Raptors were trying to work out a sign-and-trade to send Kyle Lowry to Miami. Norris Cole would be part of that. And that part, two, no, part two would be Chris Bosh opting out and re-signing in Toronto. Wow. Uh, I know, remarkably enough, is the first I've seen or heard of that. Uh, I can't imagine that there's much of a chance of that being possible. I, 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 I mean, you blew my mind a little bit here, so give me, give me a second to process. But yeah, I, that's, that's I, exactly I, how all of us were last night. Yeah, no, I, look, Lowry in the sign and trade to the Heat is one thing. Uh, I, I think that it's not, and that's not an impossibility. I can't imagine that the, the Raptors are going to be particularly enthusiastic about facilitating his his jumping ship to Miami. But if he says, "Look, guys, this this, this seems this isn't for me. I'm going to South Beach. Uh, we can at least get you something in return." Then, then I, I could see them at least relenting and maybe getting a first rounder or a couple of you know I don't even know who Miami has to offer. Maybe somebody else in a sign and trade is possible. Chris Bosh coming back to Toronto is it's. I can't imagine that's number one on his priority list. I can't imagine it's something that the Raptors are really pushing for at the moment. 
if it happens, it happens, and it'll certainly be the best story of next year, and, 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 and something almost unprecedented as far as dramatic NBA exits and returns go. You know, at least until LeBron comes back to Cleveland, he actually does that. But uh, I would give that a very, very, very small percentage of chance of actually happening. But, but kudos to Rick Buecher for, for shaking up draft night. That, 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 that's by far the craziest thing I've heard come out of the last 24 hours. Yeah, it, it certainly is crazy, and I'm with you. I mean, I give it a 1% chance of happening, only because I don't think we can call anything impossible. Uh, yeah, in yeah. professional sports, but it's as close to impossible. Uh, yeah, Chris Bosh coming back to Toronto. I think it would be a great fit for the Raptors. I just don't think it's happening. <laughs> uh, the one thing I always wonder when I see things like this is, you know, Rick Bucher put source before he wrote it. So, I don't know. The guy's got half a million followers. Everyone knows Rick Bucher in the NBA. Like, he probably is connected, but, you know, mm-hmm. like, does he actually hear this and then write it? Or is this one of those things where he's like, oh, let's try to shake up draft night a little bit. And yeah. he just puts this oh. together. Like, it just seems like such a crazy rumor that no actual credible NBA source would be leaking this. Well, I don't know if you saw this, but my favorite uh, you know, basketball expert tweet last night was at the very end of the draft, when Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted that after the, the, the days and days of uh, rumors we heard of the Sixers trying to trade up to number one to get Andrew Wiggins, he said, source says, guess what, uh, Sixers are never actually trying to get Wiggins. Yeah, basketball. I did see that. Which is, is like it's like a usual suspect's twist ending. It's like the sixth sense. Like like really like now we have to go back and reread everything that we knew we saw from the first three days that, yeah. that had us convinced that this was the plan all along, and that the Sixers were packaging Thaddeus Young and the tenth pick and just trying to make uh, Cleveland relent to give him the number one pick in Wiggins. And now 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 none of that actually happened. Sources were lying. Sources uh, believe this source. Don't believe all those other sources. So I, I think it's a good lesson in uh, not taking anything you read this time of year too seriously. And if it says sorts and it says rumor, then it's pretty far away from truth. And, you know, maybe it comes to fruition and maybe not. But it's more fun to talk about than it is actually consequential on, on, on true NBA happenings. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, crazy times, Andrew, crazy times. And with free yes, agency sir. starting next Good week, I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon with, uh, with free agency starting yeah, next week. Man. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks, Andrew. All right, cool. Talk to you later, man. All right, thanks again to Andrew Unterberger, as always, for joining us to talk about last night's draft. Thanks to John Noon in the producer's chair today. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Joseph Quisharo. Hey, if you haven't already, do the right thing. Subscribe to Points in the Paint on iTunes. And be sure to follow Joe on Twitter, at Joseph Quisharo. Joseph Quisharo.